This will be our last, our last message on the book of Acts. It's been a, almost a year, I guess, that we've been doing this. And it's been a rich time, but it's drawing to a close. So uh, many have said that this book is kind of loosely called the Acts of the Apostles. That's really what it is called. But, but many have said that it should be known and understood as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is, is who empowered these apostles to do what they did. And Jesus, just before he ascended to heaven, promised the disciples that the Spirit would come, that they would receive power. Not too many days later, the Spirit did come like a wind into the house at Pentecost, and the world was changed forever. And what we see in the rest of the book is this, that the Holy Spirit leads and empowers the apostles to spread the gospel in thought, in word, and in deed. The apostles, this morning we're going to look at how the Spirit guided and empowered these, these men and women in thought and word and deed, and how he promises to guide and empower us today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories of your servants who came and obeyed, who, who courageously faced danger and trusted you with their words, with their minds, with the things that they did with their very bodies. And Father, we pray that you'll teach us, that you'll change us, that you'll penetrate our hearts, and that these words will, will bring fruit from us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, from Acts 1, I'm going to start with Acts 1 and sort of treat these, these few verses about uh, Jesus' Jesus' last words to the disciples before he left. I'm going to treat that as the focal passage, and then I'm going to skip over and, and hit chapter 2 just briefly. Hear the word of the Lord. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for forty days, during forty days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. We're skipping forward into chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the word of the Lord. So I said I wanted to talk about how he guides our thoughts, words, and deeds, but I'm going to switch up the order a little bit. I'm going to start with words, deeds, and I want to close out with the thoughts and what he does with us in thought. So the Spirit guides the words of believers. He guided the words of the apostles. In Acts, the Spirit supernaturally guided the words of the apostles. This should not be a surprise. Jesus promised the disciples in the upper room 
And this is a quote. But the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's from John. He promised that the Spirit would actually remind, remind us of, of what we needed to remember from what he had said. But he was promising those apostles. And at Pentecost, we see by the Spirit first, the believers spoke in languages that they did not learn. This is pure supernatural power of the Spirit changing what is possible and making these people speak languages that they never actually learned. And, and there's been a lot, of, a lot of ink spilled on this, this phenomenon of tongues, but in this particular case at least, these are intelligible human languages because the other people that were around could understand them and say, how is it that they can speak in languages we understand? God empowered it through His Spirit. It's just as simple as that. Um, a miracle, a true miracle. We see next, I want to talk for a moment about some more words. There's a couple significant sermons that we see in Acts. The first one I want to talk about is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And I love this because Peter clearly explains in his sermon why Jesus had to die, how the scriptures had prophesied it, how God had orchestrated it, and how even guilty ones could be forgiven. The guilty ones who, who killed Jesus could be forgiven and, and, and get redemption. And this was only just a few weeks after Jesus had tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross. Just a few weeks. Peter hadn't gone to seminary and got this figured out in the meantime. What had changed? Well, Pentecost. That changed everything. First, Jesus was resurrected. That woke Peter up to, whoa, there's, there's more to reality than what I understand. But then God sent his spirit. And it changed what Peter could understand. And it changed the words that Peter was able to say. Um... So he goes from working against Jesus and saying, oh, no, 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 you should not go to the cross. That's wrong. To now he explains, he explains to the very people who killed him why it was necessary. It was God's will. You were part of it. And just like we talked about in Sunday school this morning, how can this be this mystery that something that's God's will and yet evil men participated in making it happen? And he's telling in his sermon this mystery. That yes, you're evil and you killed Jesus. But it was God's will to do it. It's a mystery. Peter couldn't have understood it, stood it just a few weeks before. And now he's preaching it with confidence and clarity. Stephen to the Sanhedrin. In chapter 7 we see Stephen. And these men, Stephen was one of the first deacons that were called. And, and the scripture tells us that these men were full of the Spirit. And, and Stephen gets up there and preaches to the Sanhedrin. Um, a sermon a lot like Peter's, but longer. And, and he goes through this history of Israel and how, and how all, all through history of Israel, the prophets and the people who speak for God are persecuted. Um, and then just as he's getting ready to bring, bring his concluding points, uh, they decide to kill him. But, he, but the Spirit gave him the courage to stand before them and preach to the preachers. He's preaching to the Sanhedrin. The Spirit filled him with the peace and the gentle love of Christ to forgive them even as they killed him. And this is remarkable. The Spirit, the Spirit changed what is possible for Stephen so that he could stand there knowing he was about to be killed and speak words of forgiveness and grace to these people. The Spirit allowed him even to see heaven and then allowed him to go to sleep and die peacefully 
even while he was being violently killed. This is a violent killing. This is throwing rocks at someone to destroy their body. And the scripture just records that he went to sleep. This is the Spirit's work. Later in the book, we see Paul. Um, he, goes, he goes to Mars Hill in Athens. He, Paul, Paul does many things, but in one, of, in one of the messages I wanted to call out, he, he's speaking to Gentiles. He's speaking to completely unbelieving people, pagan people. But in the wisdom that the Spirit has given to him, he's speaking to them. And remember that he complimented them first on their interest in religion and spirituality. And he, he met them where they were. So he's not bringing a, a deep Jewish religious arguments to them. He's meeting them where they are in reality and saying, yes, spirituality is good. Let me, let me talk to you a little bit more about spirituality. Let me help you understand a little bit more than what you already do. He even used the words of a pagan poet to help make his point, which is remarkable to us to think about. The words of a pagan poet have made it into the scripture that we call God-inspired. Yeah, God can give truth to people outside of, outside of, um, of Ju- Judaism or, or Christianity. Everything in scripture is true, but that doesn't mean not everything outside of scripture is not true. Right? And Paul's acknowledging that. God owns truth. And he let one of these pagan poets speak some words of truth so that he could emphasize that to these pagans. And you know what? By the Spirit, some of these Greeks believed Paul's words and they were saved. And they followed the way. We see also, talking about words and this theme of words, we've seen um, the, the tongues, we've seen sermons. God also used letters. He used... He used sermons and speeches and conversations, but he also used letters, written words that could be carefully considered and then distributed and shared. And letters have an extremely important role in, just, in, in spreading the gospel and the, these truths. One, one letter I want to talk about briefly from the Jerusalem leaders to the Gentile believers was a letter to explain you don't have to be Jews to be Christians. We're not going to put this burden of you. Of all the laws of Moses do not have to be put on you. Just a couple things to watch out for, guys. That's, that's what the letter says. And you can experience the grace of Christ without all the laws that the Jews have to worry about. Um, this, was a, this was a beautiful, encouraging letter that they sent. And it was received as such. But, but boy, what about the epistles? There's so, I mean, a lot of the New Testament is the epistles. The epistles is just a fancy name for a letter, right? These are letters that the apostles wrote to the church to explain things. And um, in one of those letters, this is interesting, in one of those letters, Paul told Timothy that the scriptures are God-breathed. And he was explaining to Timothy, value the scriptures and use them. Because they're God-breathed and they are useful for teaching and instruction. And he certainly, Paul is probably primarily thinking of the Old Testament because those were the scriptures that Paul knew. But Peter later refers to Paul's writings as scripture. So then we have Paul referring to the scriptures about how they are God-breathed. And then Peter referring to Paul's writings and affirming that they are God-breathed too. That those are scriptures too. And so we have these letters of Paul and others these other apostles in our, in our Bible that we can trust and learn from. So what's our principle of this? God, the Spirit, guides the words of believers. 
He guided the words of the apostles and He will guide our words too. Jesus promised in, in the, the book of Luke, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And we can see that this promise was fulfilled. Right? He, he promised to these apostles, these disciples, God's going to give you the words. The Spirit will speak through you. And He did. So we ask, we need to ask ourselves, where, where can we seek opportunities to share God's truth with others? Because He gave us mouths for a reason, to speak His truth. Who has He put in your life that needs to hear the Gospel? And, and among us, who has He put among us that needs to hear encouraging words of truth from Scripture? Are you worried that you won't have the right words? Will you ask the Spirit for boldness and to give you the words? Because He's promised it. He'll answer that. He'll answer that request. Will you trust the promise of Jesus? Or are you going to wait until you're confident in yourself? Don't wait. Ask. Ask for help. He will answer. I want to talk for a moment about the deeds. The deeds of the believers in Acts. And... Uh, there were, all, there were many. There's, uh, I took a few samples just to kind of highlight the diversity and the power of the different things that happened. But, but it would take a long time to go through all of the things that happened. Maybe a year of sermons. <laughs> um, we see healings. We see resurrections. We see rescues. We even see supernatural judgment and death. We actually see that. So we see Peter in the beginning is healing and casting out demons. Not just Peter, but others too. We see judgment and death for Ananias and Sapphira and Herod. Remember that Ananias and Sapphira had tried to play a trick about how much they were donating to the church. And we're talking about our pledge here that has nothing to do with that. Um, not, not attempting to make any tithe in there, really. But they, they tried to deceive the church and the Holy Spirit is the, is the problem that they were doing. And they were judged immediately for it. And we see Herod Agrippa later. Herod gave an amazing speech. And the people praised him and said, Boy, isn't this just like the words of God himself? Or the words of a God? And Herod, he didn't say anything. He failed to correct them. He failed to say, No, 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 I'm not a God. And God judged him for it. And he died immediately. It's amazing. We see, so we see the supernatural judgment and death. But then on the opposite side, we see Peter... Raising Dorcas, she was dead, and he, and he went. And with the power of the Spirit, he raised her back and delivered her back to her people. We see Paul raise Eutychus when he fell from the window and died. And Paul raised him back through the power of the Spirit. We see when Paul was on the ship, and he told them, you're all safe with, you, with me. None of you is going to be lost in this. We're going to have a wreck, but you're not going to be lost. And it was true. The Spirit saved every single person on that ship from dying in that wreck. Then when they were on the shore, Paul was saved from a snake bite. A poisonous snake had bitten Paul and it didn't even affect him. And he went on about healing the sick, doing miracles all over Malta. We see the Spirit guiding the steps of Paul away, away from this area and toward this area. And Paul, Paul says that the Spirit stopped him from visiting the certain area he was getting ready to go to. And he wanted to go to there, and he tried to go there, but the Spirit blocked him. And yet, we see that all through his last missionary journey, 
He knows he's going to Jerusalem. He's called to Jerusalem. And everyone, all the humans are saying, bad idea, Paul. Even prophecy saying, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to face persecution there. You're going to be bound and taken. And Paul said, but that's, that's where I have to go. The Spirit's told me I'm going to Jerusalem. We see this is a practical thing, but I want, you, but I want us to pay attention to it. Because, because we, can get, we can get lost in the very big and dramatic things and forget the practical. But we see Paul and Aquila and Priscilla as they're, as they're doing their ministry, they're doing deeds. The deeds they're doing, among other things, are they're working. They, they set up a little tent-making business. That is the skill that they had. And they worked together in that so that they could provide their own way so that they could, they could do the ministry, spread the gospel, without being a burden on the churches that they were, that they were serving. That was Spirit-inspired, too. So we see that the Spirit guides and empowers the works and the deeds of believers. God is the creator of this world. He has the power over the world. And He's willing to use that power. We see that all through Acts. And Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. We need to ask ourselves, will you ask for God's power to guide your steps? For, your, for guidance? Or His intervention? In your life? Where in your life do you need to ask and then trust? We need to trust His power. We need to understand that He has the power to do absolutely all things. All things. And I want to talk for a few moments about the thoughts of believers and how the Spirit can guide those two. Because Jesus taught in Luke again, I'm going to quote, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What's Jesus saying here? He is saying... That there is a natural correlation with what's going on in your heart with what comes out of your mouth and what comes out of the actions of your, of your person. And, and so what, what do we take away from this? Can we make ourselves good by our actions? No, we cannot. The good actions, that come, they must come from the heart. The good words must come from the heart. We can't, we can't force it back in. It will flow out. So how do we change the internal part? Well, fortunately, we have the Spirit to ask to help us change. He can bring the change. He has the power to change us. Not only does He have the power to, He promises to. But He wants us to participate in that process. Romans 12 tells us to be renewed or be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We're supposed to be soaking in the Word and in prayer. We're supposed to be talking with each other. So through prayer... We see in Acts, we see that Peter was praying in Joppa when he had the vision of the unclean animals. Do you remember that story? And he saw this blanket coming down and, and this vision of the unclean animals. And Peter said, whoa. And in and the, and the vision he heard, take and eat. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm a good Jew and I won't do that. But the Spirit used this vision to Peter to change his mind and to, and to educate Peter and help him understand 
And Peter, Peter interpreted it correctly. He understood that this wasn't just about food. This is about the Gentiles, the people that he thought were unclean. God was saying, I will declare them clean. And Peter, you can't declare unclean what I've declared clean. So he changed Peter's thoughts. And this is critical because he was going to use Peter and Paul and others to reach these Gentiles. But he had to change their minds first. Because as long as they viewed these Gentiles as clean and as unclean and unworthy, they weren't going to go preach to them. So God changed his mind through study. God can change our minds through study. There's two things in Acts, well, probably more than two, but two strong ones. We see Paul, actually this one's in Galatians. Paul is accosted by Jesus on the road. And what does he say? In Galatians, he explains that after that time, he took three years. And this isn't really recorded clearly in Acts, but in Galatians, Paul says, I went to Arabia for three years. And he was instructed in the gospel by Jesus himself. But we, I'm sure that he spent much of that time studying and also praying. We see three years, and it's interesting because Paul calls himself an apostle as, as like untimely born, right? The other apostles had the benefit of three years walking with Jesus. And what does Paul go do? Three years in the wilderness. Being taught by Jesus. And and studying the scriptures. So what's the result? When when Paul was ready for his mission, when he came back from the wilderness and began to preach, and he it was eleven more years after that wilderness experience before he went back to Jerusalem and aligned with James and the other brothers. And what did he find? We are good. The gospel you're preaching is the gospel I'm preaching. We don't have any disagreement. Why? They had the same teacher. That's why. Other people had to be instructed. Paul was instructed by Jesus. Now, so we could see that Paul, from that time of study, he was actually able to understand and explain how Jesus was promised and prophesied all through the Old Testament. It's, a, it's amazing and remarkable. Peter was given his sermon like that from the Spirit. But he had been sitting with Jesus for three years. And and then the Spirit promised, I'll, I'll bring and I'll help you to recall the things that Jesus has taught. That's what happened to Peter. But for Paul, these three years in the wilderness was a teaching time. We see in Acts, and this really probably more relates directly to us, but we see in Acts, when Paul preached to the Bereans, it says they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. There's two things that I love about this. The first is that They wanted to confirm the truth of what was saying, but it wasn't with an attitude of skepticism or criticism. It says they were eager. They were were eager and they wanted to listen. They had a positive and eager mindset about it, but they weren't going to be suckers. They weren't going to be gullible. And they knew that the authority was in Scripture. So everything Paul preached, they required that Paul had to align with Scripture. They weren't going to let him go against it. I love that. Paul, the apostle, and they're saying, okay, Paul, we'll listen to you. And then we're going to go check. Mm-hmm. But when they went and checked, they found out Paul was on point. And the things that he was preaching were true. So eagerness, checking and validating, and then joy. So we see these, these changing of thoughts through prayer. We see changing of thoughts through study. And we see changing and guiding of thoughts through other believers. Because... At the Jerusalem Council, the whole thing that was going on there, they were trying to figure out how to handle the Gentiles. 
How can we understand when Jesus the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, has come to redeem Israel and fulfill all the law of Israel, how do we bring these Gentiles in without making them Jews? It's very confusing. And they had a meeting because there was prayer and there was study, but there's also conversation. Jesus, or God brought these people together. The Spirit sent them together. They met in this Jerusalem council to talk. And what did they do? They shared experiences. They shared their points of view. They explained each other. They explained themselves to each other. I'm sure they prayed. And then what? They reached a conclusion together. And they, they, they were able to, to uh, get a consensus and an understanding of how this should work. And, uh, and they even say in their letter that it seemed good to the Spirit and to us that these things be so. So we see that the Holy Spirit will change our minds when we submit to Him, when we seek to have our minds changed. Because He'll allow us to go on hard-hearted many times. So He will change our minds when we seek, to, when we seek that and when we submit to Him. Are you praying to God that He'll show you His truth and continue to transform your mind? We want to value what he values. We want to love what he loves. And I would say, we want to love who he loves, right? Which is who? Everybody. God loves us all. So we should be loving everyone if we love what God loves. Are you searching the scriptures for greater understanding of his gospel? Are we doing that? He will redeem that. He will reward that. We see it right here. Paul goes in the desert. We see the Bereans. They look. They say, oh, that's nice what you say, Paul, but we're going to check. Are we searching those scriptures? We have the benefit of all these letters now, more than what Paul had. If we don't have a regular time to set aside to do this, will you do that? Can you find a time in your week? This is a priority. It must be. Are you talking to other believers about these truths? Just like the Jerusalem Council, these men got together and talked to each other. And the scriptures tell us we should be exhorting one another. We should be encouraging one another with the truth of scripture. We, we want to say hi. We want to say, how's it going? And we want to say nice things. And those are good. But we can say more. We can say scripture to each other. We can encourage each other with these truths that we find. Ask each other, what, what's God teaching you? What truth could you speak to someone to build them up, to bring encouragement to them? And I want to conclude with a few more, a few more thoughts. If the musicians want to come up um, before our time of response. And we're going to have a communion time afterwards also. But when Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent the Spirit to guide and empower the, God, the apostles to spread the gospel and to build the church. So what is this gospel that he, that he brought, that Peter preached at Pentecost, that Paul argued for in Greece and then wrote about in the letters? What is this gospel, the whole focus of the New Testament, and especially of Acts? And I'll summarize it this way. This is the gospel. God made us, humanity, to glorify him by bearing his own image in perfection. That's our purpose. That's our destiny. To love one another, to do good work, and to care for the creation that he put us in charge of. He gave us authority over. But we failed. 
we failed. In our pride, we rebelled against Him. And we walked away from His love and His truth. And the only reasonable solution for a rebellious creature from its Creator is destruction. That is the only reasonable solution. That's the bad news. But the good news, the gospel, is that God loved us too much for that. And yet God being perfect in His righteousness, He couldn't allow our sin to just be swept under the carpet. He couldn't allow that because He's perfectly righteous too. So wrong has to be punished. So what did He do? He sent His Son Jesus to do two things. To live a perfect life, to bear His image as a perfect human, as we were intended to do, to fulfill our destiny that we, were, that we were designed for. That's the first thing that He came to do and He did. The second thing is to come and die and take the punishment and pay the price that had to be paid for all the wrong that was done. And He came and did that so that we can take the benefit of that. We don't have to be destroyed. We can be reunited with God. We can ultimately fulfill our purpose. And glorify Him in perfection because He's promised to transform us and perfect us. Jesus had to be a man to live and die adequately. And He had to be God because mankind had been corrupted and wasn't able to do it. But He asks only this. Will you believe that He is who He says He is? And will you trust His sacrifice to pay for your sins? The good news is that if you will, His grace is free. This is the message of Acts this is what the Spirit came to deliver and to use His people to spread through the world. This is the message the Spirit came to empower. Will you accept this gospel?